Okay, welcome to Rise! Let's go! Well, happy to see there's lots of new visitors here, and uh, maybe you're just joining us for the first time. This is what we do. We like to have fun. Uh, I forgot your name already. What was your name? Back there? Yeah. Uh, Levi. 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 These are Levi jeans, and we're going to have a good time tonight. Uh, this is what we do. We have fun. We play some games, and we hang out with each other. You can have friends here. You know, you can have a good time. We have some candy. We have some dessert afterwards. But these are all just like sweet little things that we do outside of the main thing, which is right now, and that's worshiping the Lord together. We sing songs to God and to Jesus, and, um, and we open his word together, his Bible, and we learn from it, and we learn about who God is. And currently, we're going through the book of? Daniel. We're going through the book of? Daniel. Now, uh, maybe some of you don't know what's going on in Daniel because you're completely new with us. And so let's do a little recap. First, we know that there are two nations that are split up, one in the north with 10 tribes called? Logan, say it loud. Israel. Israel. 10 tribes in the north called? Israel. Two tribes in the south called? Judah. Two tribes in the south called? Judah. Judah. And so Israel's taken over. And then those people who took over Israel go and try to take over Judah. They're unsuccessful. And then this guy called King Nebuchadnezzar, he's with Babylon. He goes and he goes to Judah and he takes them over. He takes over Judah. And what's the first thing that he does? And we see this in chapter one. He captures a bunch of slaves he captures the best and the brightest junior hires can you imagine this junior hires just like you your age younger and not younger than you but maybe a little bit older than you and he gets all these biggest and brightest youth the smartest in their class and he captures about 300 kids and he takes them brings them into slavery i mean imagine this being ripped away from your families being ripped away from all your friends in your entire life these people, imagine if you're kidnapped right now by some military force and they came and they grabbed you away and they took you to another place and you were scared and uh, you were really smart, but you were scared and uh, now you're a slave. Pretty crazy, right? And so we see this happen to about 300 youth and in these 300 youth, we see four people who we've been learning a lot about. Their names are Daniel. Their names are Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abednego. And uh, these are Daniel and his three friends. And we see throughout this entire book their faithfulness to God. And so we're basically asking throughout this entire book, how do we have what? Faith. How do we have faith? What does it look like to have faith? And how strong should our faith be? Because we are going to, maybe not become slaves like Daniel and his friends, but we will encounter very hard trials in this life. Life can get hard, it can get sad. We can go through really tough situations and we need faith, strong faith, in order to uh, stick with God and not fall astray. And so week one, Daniel one, we saw that we are to have uncompromising faith. Uncompromising faith. Everybody say uncompromising uncompromising faith and this means 
that our faith in God is so strong, it cannot be shaken, it cannot be wavered, no matter what comes after us, no, no matter what little sins start to creep into our lives, we will not compromise and we will have faith in God, right? Week number two, Daniel chapter two, we saw we have unforgettable faith. Come on, how could you forget that? Unforgettable faith. And we saw King Nebuchadnezzar pretend to forget his dream. He claims to have forgotten his dream. He, he tells everybody, you got to tell me what my dream is and you got to explain it to me or else I'm going to chop off your head, right? King Nebuchadnezzar is crazy. He's really bad. And we saw the wicked witch couldn't even figure out uh, their dream, right? And we saw Daniel being faithful to God. And Daniel is given, because of his faithfulness, God blesses him with all these crazy, awesome abilities. And Daniel's able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Yes? Are we understanding? Everybody say yes. Yes. Okay. Uncompromising faith. Unforgettable faith. Last week we saw un undying faith. We saw undying faith from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they are told that they must worship this, this huge false idol, this huge statue that King Nebuchadnezzar built. He wants everybody, all the nations, all the people to gather around, come to his nation, and worship this one false idol. And in worshiping this false idol, they are really worshiping King Nebuchadnezzar. But what does is, what is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? They go, no way, Jose. We are going to stay faithful to God, and we are not going to compromise. Our faith is undying, meaning our faith will never end. It will never bow down to these false idols, these false gods. And so I will not worship that God, even if it costs me my life. And what happens to them? They're thrown into the furnace. And do they burn? No. No smells of any burnt skin. No smells of burnt hair. I smelled burnt hair before. It smells terrible. I smelled burnt skin before. It smells even worse. And uh, none of that. Because why? They stayed faithful. And because of their faithfulness, God protected them. Right? So we see this crazy story of Daniel and his friends. They stay faithful to God. They will not compromise. And they will not bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's a terrible and mean king. And, um, and today we're going to see a pretty remarkable story of how King Nebuchadnezzar, who you would never expect to become a Christian, who you would never expect to worship God because of the crazy and terrible things he's done, he is finally going to become humbled. God is going to humble him and he's going to lead him to himself. That's pretty remarkable, right? King Nebi is going to bow down to the true king of kings. Now, so we're going to see King Nebuchadnezzar, probably the most prideful character I've seen, one of the most prideful, loves himself, wants everybody to worship him. He is finally going to be humbled. And you know, I've told you stories about when I was a kid and what did I used to do? I used to pretend I was a, a king. And one time I put on a robe, you know, a blanket on my neck. I walked around with a staff and it was an umbrella stick and it had a really sharp end at the end, really sharp end at the end. And uh, I walked around and I was super prideful, you know, loving myself, looking really good. I put on a crown on me. I, I made a crown, shifted a crown on myself, walked around in front of this mirror and I was looking at myself really proud, 
really good looking. And then I go, yeah, I'm the king. And then I lift up my staff and I go, right into my toe. My toe starts gushing blood. And that humbled me. I realized I wasn't actually king. Okay. And, you know, that's basically what we're going to see with King Nebuchadnezzar. I also thought of, you know, recently I was at school and I was in class and we had a big exam and I took the exam and I was tired. I got out of the exam. I was one of the last people out because, you know, I go really slow and I'm not that smart. And so I finally get out of class and this guy is next to me. He walks out with me. He's from Britain, right? Britain. He's from, you know, he, he worships the queen. And all of a sudden he walks down and he's looking at his phone and he goes, oh no. I go, what's wrong? And he's like, has a really down, so sad look on his face. He goes, the queen just died. God saved the king. And he moved on like that. He moved on from the queen to the king in just a matter of seconds. But he was heartbroken because the queen just died, right? You guys heard about the queen just dying? Yeah. Yeah, really sad, I, I think. And, uh, and uh, terrible, you know, the queen died. And it reminded me of this quote I saw from, I think, the previous queen, Queen Victoria. And uh, Queen Victoria, she claimed to be a Christian. And, you know, the queen is just worshipped in their country, right? Everybody worships the queen. Everybody looks up to the queen. Everybody bows down to the queen. But this queen actually claimed to be Christian. And I loved one of these stories about Queen Victoria. It says this, One of the chaplains of her late majesty, Queen Victoria, had been preaching on the second coming of the Lord. So Queen Victoria is there listening to somebody preach about Christ returning. This is awesome. And afterwards, in a conversation with the preacher, the queen exclaimed, Oh, how I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime. I mean, that's pretty cool. I would never expect the president of the United States to say anything about God, right? But this queen is talking about God. And the person, the preacher asked, Why? Why do you wish that he would come? And the queen replied with quivering lips. She's on the verge of tears and her, she's very emotional. And she says, I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. Isn't that awesome? The queen would love to lay down her crown at the Lord's feet because she understands. Hopefully, I, it seems like this. She understands that the Lord Jesus is a true king of kings, the king of all nations. And that she is to bow down to the true king. And this is what we're going to see in our story today. Daniel chapter 4 with King Nebuchadnezzar. He's so proud. He's so mighty. He's over all the nations. Everybody worships him. But now we're going to see him finally recognize the true king of kings. God, Jesus, who is the king of kings. And uh, he's going to bow down to him. And this is... Remarkable. Okay, so turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. And you can use your table of contents in that Bible you have. Turn to Daniel chapter 4. We saw Daniel 1. King Nebuchadnezzar is uh, there. He uh, makes him eat all these food and God shows him that he's actually wiser than King Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 2, God showed Nebuchadnezzar who was in control of the future with the dream of the great statue. In chapter 3, God showed Nebuchadnezzar who was the only God 
No false gods around here. He showed him who was the only God. In chapter 4, God warns Nebuchadnezzar of his coming judgment through another dream. Okay? So now we're in Daniel chapter 4. And I want us to see this. We're going to see this theme. James chapter 4 verse 6. Look at your outline. James chapter 4 verse 6 says this. But he, Christ, gives a greater grace. Therefore it says... God is opposed to the proud, but gives what? Grace to the what? To the humble. God is opposed to the who? Proud. Proud. God is opposed to the who? God is opposed to the who? Proud. Proud. But God gives grace to the who? To the humble. And we're going to see this. God opposing the proud, but God giving grace to the humble. So point number one. God is opposed. Is that what everybody's looking at? Or okay, this, okay. Who wants it? This is so distracting. I'm sorry. Okay, don't look at that thing. Okay, we're looking at the Word of God. Look at Daniel chapter four, point number one. God is opposed to the proud. Point number one. God is opposed to the proud. Okay, and we're going to see three points from this. Point A, the warning, the warning. So go to Daniel chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1. We'll get some context first. It says this, Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language and that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Guys, this is King Nebuchadnezzar saying this. This is crazy, right? He's finally praising the one true God. And what we're going to see in this chapter is King Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. If you were to give a testimony at church, you know how you see people give testimonies? This is King Nebuchadnezzar's testimony right here. And we see first the warning in verses 4 through 27. What's going to happen here? King Nebuchadnezzar goes on. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream and it made me, what? Fearful. He's fearful again. He's having another bad dreams. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans and the diviners came in and I related the dream to them. But they could not make its interpretation known to me. Sounding pretty familiar, right? He's having another dream. He calls in the wise men. Why is he doing this? He already knows they can't figure out the dream, right? So silly mistake. Uh, Verse 8. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And I related to the dream, I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you. Tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen along with its interpretation. Verse 10. Now these words, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. 
I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind, and I lay on my bed, and I behold an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He shouted out and spoke as follows, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from the branches, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground. But with a band of iron and bronze around it in the, gr- in the new grass of the field and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven, I lost my place, and let him, I lost my place and let him share with the beast in the grass, I'm sorry, of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is a dream which I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. King Nebuchadnezzar has another terrible, frightening dream. He basically wakes up and he screams because of how frightening this dream is. This isn't the same dream he had before. It's a different dream of him. Oh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Of a big tree in the middle of this field. And it's flourishing. And it's mighty. And it's tall. It's super tall. And it reaches far. And all the nations come under it. And they dwell in its branches. And they go under this tree. And everybody loves this tree. But it gets cut down. And we see this thing becomes like a cattle. Look at verse 19. Daniel is going to interpret the dream. Then Daniel... Whose name is what? Okay, that was a hard one. His name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. Get this, Daniel's listening to this dream. King Nebuchadnezzar's like, okay, now interpret the dream. And Daniel's like, what just happened? He's even appalled. He's, he's out of his mind. He can't believe what just happened. And the king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, My lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached the sky and was visible to all the earth and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and in those branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is who? You, Nebuchadnezzar. The tree is you. 
O king, for you have become great and have grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached to the end to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. In that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. Let yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field and let him be drenched with dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the most high, which has come upon my Lord, the king that you, King Nebuchadnezzar, be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field and you be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. This is King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And Daniel interprets it. This dream of a big tree in the middle of a grass field whose foliage is so abounding and plentiful and everybody, all the birds of the sky come into the tree. This is representing King Nebuchadnezzar and saying that the king is great. And he did accomplish this. He accomplished great things. All the nations came and they worship under him and they respect the king and they love the king. And everybody knows of this king. He has great power. But what does Daniel say is going to happen? The tree is going to get cut down. Meaning King Nebuchadnezzar will be separated and he will be cut down too. He will be brought down. What else happens? The king is going to be turned into what? He's going to be turned into a cow. Can you believe this? The high king whose power is great, who's so high, who's so prideful, he's going to be cut down and he's going to be turned into cattle. He's going to be eating of the grass and he's going to be brought down low. Why? Because God is giving a warning to King Nebuchadnezzar that he, if he does not bow down to the true king of kings, then God will humble him and make him bow down. And so this is a warning. And King Nebuchadnezzar gives a warning to the king. And he says, I hope that my advice is pleasing to you, that you like this advice because you need this advice. King Nebuchadnezzar, you need to turn from your sins. And this is the R word that we know it's called repentance. Daniel, and this is a good advice for us. This is a good thing for us to see. That when we're trying to evangelize to our friends, our unsaved friends, we have to tell it like it is. We have to tell our friends that they are in sin, that they are sinners, and that they must repent. But what also do we see of Daniel? In the very beginning, when Daniel hears this dream, what does he do? He's appalled. He can't believe what he just heard. And he says, Lord, King I wish 
that this dream was for your enemies. I wish that this wasn't for you. I wish that this was not the future for you. Why? Because he's showing love to King Nebuchadnezzar. Even though King Nebuchadnezzar is an unbeliever and he's super evil and he does, he does bad things and he's even almost killed Daniel and his friends, what does Daniel do? He shows love to King Nebuchadnezzar. He shows compassion. He says, I wish this dream wasn't for you, but it is. And he shows love by telling him the truth. You are a sinner. You need to turn from your sins, King. He tells him the truth. And that is what we should do too. But this is a warning to King Nebuchadnezzar that you need to turn from your sins. And it's a warning for you, students, that we are sinners, that God's standard requires perfection, holiness, a perfect standard, that we cannot sin if we want to go into heaven. But all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. We are all sinners heading to hell. And hell is a real place with torment and suffering forever and ever and ever. And if anybody sins, that is where they are headed. That is what they deserve. And all of us are sinners. And so the warning is for you also that you are a sinner deserving of hell and that you need to repent. And repentance is turning away from your sins, all those things that you love, all those things that you desire, and turning towards the Most High, the glorious God. So Daniel gives Nebuchadnezzar this warning. That's point A. Point B, the pride. The pride. Look at verse 28. Daniel chore, Daniel chore, Daniel 4, verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, the king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? What happens? King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Daniel interprets it. He gives him a warning. King Nebuchadnezzar, you need to repent. You need to turn away from your sins. And what does King Nebuchadnezzar do? What probably some of you are doing right now. He waits. And he blows it off. He brushes it off a little bit. Uh, it's fine, Daniel. It's fine. How long does he wait? Twelve months. He waits and he waits and he waits. And at the end of this 12 months, what does he do? He goes right back to his pride. He's prideful again. Oh, look at Babylon, my great nation. All these things that I've done. Is this not Babylon, the nation that I raised up, the great, great nation? And he is consumed with pride. And friends, we struggle with pride too, right? Don't we? We are so prideful. Prideful is looking at ourselves lifting ourselves higher than we actually are, putting ourselves above who God is, before his priorities, being more concerned about ourselves than we are with God. And what does the Bible say about pride? Proverbs 8.13 in your outline, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil and pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth, what I hate. God hates it. God hates pride. 
Proverbs 16, verse 16. Pride goes before what? Destruction, the fall, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. Now look at this list of really sins that you struggle with, that I struggle with. And look at those underlined ones. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come for men will be lovers of self. They will love themselves. That's pride. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. Maybe that's you. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. So you see the, the obviously prideful ones, right? Some are lovers of self. Some are boastful. Some are arrogant. Some are conceited. But all these things, all of these sins, all of the sins that we struggle with, they're all rooted in what? Pride. These are all rooted in pride. And this happens. We sin when we have a high view of ourselves and a low view of God. If we really saw God for who he is as a mighty king, then we would not sin. If we had a perfect understanding of God, then we would not sin. If we respected him as we should perfectly as a high king, then we would not sin. But the problem is that we are sinners. We do not view God as we should. We lower him and we lift ourselves high. This is pride. And this is what King Nebuchadnezzar has, the pride. Now look at point C, the judgment. The judgment. Point C, the judgment. Judge than meant. Verses 31 through 33 says this, while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. You know what God does? He does what he says he was going to do if King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar continues in his pride. Nebuchadnezzar continued in his pride. And what did God do? God judged him. He turned him into a moo, a cow. He punished him. And what this tells us is that God is one. He does not lie. He keeps his word and he will punish sin. He will judge sin. And even for us, he will judge our sin. The ultimate judgment for our sin is what? Hell, eternal punishment. But even on top of that, there are earthly consequences to our sin. We will see consequences for our sin here on this earth. And so we saw the warning. 
King Nebuchadnezzar didn't take the warning. We saw the pride. He stayed prideful. And because of this, we saw the judgment from God. Point number two now. We saw that God is opposed to the proud. Point number two, God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. We see this in verses 34 to 37. Point A, sinners must repent. Sinners must repent. Look at verses 34 to 35. But at the end of that period, this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him. These pages are going crazy. I praise and I honored him for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Most high and praise and honor him for who, him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. What happens? King Nebuchadnezzar finally repents. He repents because God has humbled him to the lowest point. He judged him. And so now Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. He realizes that he is nothing and that God is everything. He's the most high. He's the most powerful. He can do all that he pleases. And he realizes for the first time that God, the king of kings, is the one in control of everything. King Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was in control. But what did God do? He stripped King Nebuchadnezzar of that control and he showed him who was really in control. So King Nebuchadnezzar is humbled and he finally repents. He finally worships God. Look at Luke 9 verse 23 in your outline. If anyone wishes to come, to come after me, he must deny himself, take up, us, take up his cross daily and follow me. He must turn away from his sins, all the things that he loves, all his passions and pleasures. He must basically die to himself, put his old self away, and he must follow Jesus. He must follow the true God. Look at Jonah, verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. I love this. You know the story of Jonah, right? Jonah gets so prideful. He runs away from God. He doesn't want to obey God. He runs away. He gets swallowed by fish. That's God's judgment again. He punishes sin. He gets swallowed by fish. He gets spit out. He finally obeys. He preaches the good news. He preaches God's message to the people of Nineveh, and they all repent. And the king of Nineveh repents, and he says this as his confession, verse 8 through 9. Let men call on God earnestly, that each man may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. What does he say? Who knows? Who knows? Even if we repent, even if we acknowledge that we are worthless and that God is God and he is the most high, who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And you know what we get out of this? is that we repent not expecting anything from God. Knowing, though, that we are undeserving of His grace. That's why we have undeserving faith. Because we know that we are undeserving of anything good from God. Ephesians 2, verse 8, this is what grace is. For by grace 
you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We receive grace. We receive what we do not deserve because God sent his son to die for us. You know this, right? If you're new with us, the only thing we're concerned about, the only thing that we want to know of is this person. And this person's name is Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard of him. Jesus Christ is God, fully God. But this God became a man and he lived on this earth in perfect obedience, perfect submission to his father. And although he is perfect, he was what? Killed. He died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty that we deserve. He died and he rose again three days later to bring us new life. That if we may believe in him, if we may put our faith in him, if we may repent from our sins, that he would give us this grace, favor that we do not deserve. He would allow us to live with him and be with him, have a relationship with him forever instead of hell. That is grace. And that is what we believe. So you must put your faith in him and repent from your sins. And this is what King Nebuchadnezzar finally does. And if you do this, if God saves you, if, if you put your faith in him and repent from your sins, then point B, God will restore you. Look at the end, verse 36, 37, we'll end. 36, at that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Look at this verse, verse 37. Everybody look down at your Bibles. This is the, the highlight, the, the peak, the climax of Daniel. Right here, Daniel chapter 4, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride god restores him finally he regenerates him he makes him not only does he restore his earthly kingdom and his rule and all these things he's given back to him but most importantly, King Nebuchadnezzar is restored from the inside out. His whole being is changed because he is no longer a lost sinner enslaved by sin. No, now he's a sinner saved by God who lives by God with a new heart. And that can be you as well. But what is required? It is humility. You must be humbled. Both for salvation, because you need to know your need for a savior and even if you're a Christian already, you need to be humbled and remember who God is if you want to be sanctified, if you want to grow and become more like Christ. We need to humble ourselves, right? King Nebuchadnezzar was prideful, but God will humble those who are prideful. He will show them who is really in control. So let's humble ourselves. Let's go to back home. Let's go back to our schools, back with our friends.
humble ourselves and exalt the most high God who is in control of everything. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your holy word, your perfect word. We thank you that you are perfect and uh, that you allow us to even know who you are, that you give us grace by preserving your word so that we can learn more about you. And Lord, I pray that like King Nebuchadnezzar, that we would recognize our pride, all that goes against you, recognize all of our sin that goes against you, and that we would turn away from it. We would leave it all behind and that we would instead turn to your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us and who rose again to bring us new life. Would we deny ourselves? Would we let go of all of our sins? Would we let go of ourselves and all of our pride and instead turn towards you, the one who is in control of all things? Help us, Lord. Crack through our hard hearts like you did with King Nebuchadnezzar. Bring us to yourself so that we can praise you and exalt you for all of our days. Tell everybody about your name. Help us, save us, and if you've already saved us, sanctify us and help us to become more like your son. But we must be humble. We are so undeserving of your grace. So let us have faith that reflects that humility. In Jesus' name, amen.